The reading this morning is from 1 John 2, verses 28 to chapter 3, 10. Children of God. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. On a scale of 1 to 10, I wonder how confident you would say you were and how you would measure confidence. Often it's in the context of uh, how well somebody comes across when they make a presentation or um, how comfortable they feel when they walk into uh, an unknown social setting. Certainly the world attaches great importance to confidence. You can find out all sorts of books and uh, workshops and seminars on how to become more confident. Uh, Parents are instructed on how they can raise their children to be confident adults. And schools promote themselves, uh, in addition to their academic qualifications, as producing confident young people. It's enough to make somebody who lacks confidence quite oppressed. But a lot of that talk, however, is about self-confidence. It's about a confidence in your own gifts and abilities and how you appear before people. The passage we're looking at this morning, though, from 1 John 3, talks about a different and much more important confidence. Because this confidence is a confidence in appearing before God, the one who created the universe, as we heard earlier from from Wellesley, but also the one who created each one of us and to whom we're therefore accountable. Verse 28 of chapter 2 says, And now, dear children... Continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. 
And John's purpose in writing is this, that he doesn't want his readers to feel ashamed or anxious when Jesus appears again, but rather to look forward to that day with great anticipation, great confidence. So how is it, though, that we can look forward to that day with confidence? And what we'll see in this passage as we study this morning is that those who can be confident when Jesus appears again are those who he refers to as the children of God. And what you will see that is, although the title of this sermon is about raising confident children, being a child of God has got nothing to do with how old or how young you are. What does it mean to be a child of God? Well, first of all, we are children of God if we are confident in our Father's love. If we're confident in our Father's love. One of the things that uh, David Cameron blamed for the moral collapse in our society recently, as we saw those riots uh, over the summer in different parts of the country, was young people growing up without a father, absent fathers, without somebody to teach them, to, to discipline them, and to love them. We know how important the love of a human father is, but the love of God the Father is even more important, and it's a love that anyone can experience, whether or not they have known their human father. That verse, which we saw earlier from verse 1 of chapter 3, says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The sad thing is that most people go through life unaware that there is a God, a God who made them, who made them in his image, and a God who loves them. And part of the reason that they don't understand how much he loves them is they don't understand how he showed his love. For many people, the concept of God's love is limited to how well I am doing in this life. Has he given me the things that I want? If um, if you're a fan of Outnumbered, you'd have seen last week's episode when nine-year-old Karen asks her mum if she can become a Catholic, basically so she can go to the same school as a friend. Her mum says, well, it would be easier if you believed in God. And Karen says, well, I only stopped believing in him because he was annoying me, like sending earthquakes and tsunamis. And also, whenever I asked for something or anything, he would always just ignore me. If things are going well, if I'm healthy and well-off and successful, then I can believe that there's a God. But I don't actually need him because I've got all I need. If things are not going so well, then I do need God, but I find it difficult to believe in him because he just doesn't give me what I ask him for. So you get into that catch-22 situation, don't you, where either you, you don't need God or you can't believe he exists or he loves you. A child of God is someone who believes God exists and knows how much he is loved by God. But what is that love then? If it's not simply a question of God giving us what we want and ask for, What is this love that God has lavished on us? Well, first of all, it's the fact that he appeared. For the God of the the, the huge universe that we saw earlier, to humble himself and appear on our tiny little planet as a man and to live among us is amazing in itself. But he didn't just appear to show he is God, to, to receive our adoration and then just to to disappear again, a bit like celebrities turning up and the cameras uh, whirring and the red carpet being rolled out and then off they go again, back into the car to disappear. 
Now, since here in verse 5, look down, he appeared so that he might take away our sins. He also appeared, verse 8, look on, he appeared to destroy the devil's work. And these two things are linked to take away our sins and to destroy the devil's work. Because as it says in verse 8, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That is the devil's purpose. His purpose is to lead us away from God. And he does that by undermining our trust in God, making us question his love for us, making us sometimes afraid of him. In short, he makes us sin. He makes us rebel against God. He makes us try and reject God. And that causes us to become separate from God. Jesus appeared to destroy that work because he appeared to take away our sins. And he did that by taking away the punishment that those sins deserved. So when the Father looks at us, his children, he sees the innocence of Jesus Christ. And to appreciate the magnitude of the love that caused God to do that for us, to appreciate the huge sacrifice that that entailed, is to be a child of God. John 3.16 sums it up well. For God so loved the world. In other words, he loved the world in such a way that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that is the ultimate ground of our confidence for when we appear before God, his love that he showed towards us. We're a child of God if we are confident in that love. We're also a child of God if we are confident in our ongoing transformation. In our ongoing transformation. Christ appeared to take away our sins. And that's great, isn't it? But when we read this passage, it says there, look at verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And verse 9 is even stronger. Look, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, I'm sure that will make a lot of us feel a bit uncomfortable. <clears throat> yes, I'm really pleased that my sins have been forgiven, but I can't honestly say that I no longer sin. Does that mean here that I'm not a child of God? Well, I think the key to understanding this is in the definition of sin that we're given here in verse 4. Have a look at verse 4 there. It says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Now, lawlessness is not something we normally associate with this country, but in the summer with those riots, we saw otherwise respectable people somehow getting caught up in looting, um, getting caught up in rioting. And law and order broke down in many parts of the country. And we saw others condemning them as criminals, priding themselves that they were law-abiding citizens and would never get involved in that sort of behaviour. Well, the lawlessness that Jesus is talking about here is not submission to the laws of the country, although that is involved in it. It is an unwillingness to submit ourselves to the rule of God in our lives to allow him to rule over our lives. 
And that is what this reference to sin is getting at here. If we are born of God, then we will willingly submit ourselves to God's rule. And so we have this strong contrast it brings out here between a child of God and a child of the devil. And that's brought out very well in the, uh, the booklet, I'm sure some of you will know, called Two Ways to Live. Um, what it says in there is you either choose to submit yourself to God's rule, or you choose to live your life your way. There's nothing in between. There's no sort of spiritual neutrality, no spiritual Switzerland, as it were. You're either one or the other. Now, you may say, well, I have submitted my life to God. I want to be a child of God, but I still fail. And yes, there will be times when we fail, when we get it wrong. But the difference is, if we are a child of God, that won't sit comfortably with us. We won't like it when we sin. Because we know how much it hurts the God who is our Father, who loves us. We want to do right. We want to to love our brothers and sisters. And again, there will be times when we let them down, when they let us down. But that will disturb us. We will want to put it right. We don't want to be out of fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a child of God, we are open to that correction. It may be through a brother and a sister. It may be through reading God's word. Maybe through the Spirit prompting us that that was wrong. And each time we repent, we ask for forgiveness, we know we're forgiven and we move on and make a new start. And each time we grow through that experience and we mature as Christians. As children of God, we want to be transformed. We we want said to grow more like Christ. And that transformation, that process starts with a seed. That's what it says here. No one who is born of God will continue to sin in verse 9 because God's seed remains in him. When we're born again, the seed of a new nature is planted there within us. It's a seed of Christ-likeness. It may be quite small, but it grows. It develops until one day our old nature is eradicated. And this is not meant to make Christians downhearted. This is meant to reassure us, if we are Christians, that if our attitude to sin is right, then we are children of God and we can look forward with confidence to appearing before Jesus Christ. Which brings us on to our third point, because as children of God, we are confident in our future perfection. Remember when um, Ben and Joe were quite young and we were in a swimming pool on, on holiday in, in Brazil and there were some Brazilians there who obviously didn't know that we spoke Portuguese and uh, they were just talking about the children, saying, ele tem cara de pai, ele tem cara de mãe. They say, oh yeah, he looks like his dad and he looks like his mum. And um, people take enjoyment, don't they, in uh, saying, um, oh yeah, it looks like your dad, looks like your mum. Um, sure, uh, Ruth and uh, <coughs> Ian have experienced that recently with the their newborn baby. Usually it's not clear at all, is it? I mean, most of them usually look like uh, Winston Churchill, I think, as this picture will show. Um, but, um, but later as they grow, the similarities often do become clear, don't they? They do tend to take after one or the other. They're not just the physical similarities, but the little mannerisms, little character traits, sometimes a gifting. And in some ways, every human being is a child of God because we're made in his image. But in some cases, that image has become so marred that it's virtually invisible. For children of God who have been born again, 
you've undergone a spiritual rebirth into God's likeness, there is a family resemblance which marks us out from the rest of the world. That's why it says here in verse 1, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We share the values of Jesus, and those values are often quite different from the values of the world. But whilst being a Christian in this life is great, after all, we we enjoy a relationship with God, we know his presence with us day by day, there's a far more glorious future to look forward to in the life to come. Have a look at verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now we don't know exactly what we will be like, but we know that we shall be like him. There is some resemblance now, but then there will be no doubt. That doesn't mean that we will no longer be human, that we will become God. There are attributes of God that we can never assume, his power, his his knowledge, his unchanging nature, his his omnipresence. But we shall become like him in the sense that we shall love what he loves, we shall value what he values. And above all, we shall become without sin. And that's the amazing destiny that we have to look forward to, to become without sin and live in a world without sin. How will that become possible? Because we shall see him as he is in all his glory and all his perfection. Now we've said already that if we know God, then it's, it makes it hard to sin. We know how much it hurts him. But if we are in his presence, seeing him in all his glory, it will be impossible to sin. That's an amazing thing to look forward to. It's what they give this life now hope and gives this life meaning. But having that hope for the future is not something you just find away and say, well, um, I'll bring it out um, one day in the future. Um, maybe you can surprise yourself that you've still got it. That hope for the future affects your life now in the present. Because as verse 3 says, everyone who has this hope in him and purifies himself, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And the thrust of this passage is because you're privileged to be a child of God, because you can delight in his love, because you have that seed of Christ-likeness growing in you, because you have a hope for the future, then purify yourself, be pure. And what that basically means is to allow that seed of Christ-likeness in you to grow, to flourish, to blossom. Because if our hope is to be like Christ in the future, and that is a sincere hope, then we will want to be like him now. And however large that gap is between your life now and what you will be like in glory, you can work towards that goal. There's a huge gap between me being able to swim a few lengths of the, uh, the pool at the Tame Measure Centre and uh, swimming the channel. Now, there's no point in me saying, well, I'm really looking forward to the day when I will swim the channel. And in the meantime, carrying on, playing the old game of football, old game of tennis, maybe swimming a couple of lengths in the swimming pool occasionally. And then one day I'd say, right, now I'm going to go and swim the channel. I go down to Dover, uh, get my speedos on, 
splash myself in oil, and off I go. I probably wouldn't get as far as the end of Dover Harbour. Peter Short has been training for months to swim the channel, and it was only because of the currents that he, he wasn't able to do it. That took a lot of training. And as Christians, we're meant to train ourselves to become like Christ. There's no secret or clever method for doing it, but we get to know him and we imitate him. And we do that by reading the Bible, seeing what it says there, understanding who he is, understanding what he says is important, how we should live our lives. We do it by imitating those who we know are mature in their faith. As the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's why the the Christian Explore course that we do focuses on what the Bible, and in particular Mark's Gospel, says about Jesus Christ. Why he came. What it means to follow him. If you want to get to know Jesus, if your faith maybe has um, slipped a bit, maybe if you lost that, that fire, that passion for him, come and join us on Tuesday night as we look at what the Bible says about him. Imitate Christ, but also recognise that you are living in a world which is against what he stands for. A world which is spiritually lawless and therefore avoid spending lots of time with those things that will take you away from him. John writes in verse 7, Do not let anyone lead you astray. Be confident in Christ so you can avoid false teaching, so you can avoid false behaviour. Know what is right. And that's an instruction which is not new. As Moses said to the people of Israel, he said, when you enter the land, your Lord, your God is giving you. Do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. So bearing in mind what we've been saying as you look ahead to the new week, how will you measure what sort of week you've had? Because the only real measure is to what extent has what you've done allowed you to become more like Jesus Christ? Have you responded to disappointments and setbacks? How has Christ's strength helped you to resist temptation? How has your confidence in Christ grown? If you put your confidence in yourself, you will be disappointed. You'll be constantly thinking, if only I'd done this or that, you know, people would have thought better of me. And even if you're the most confident person in the world, that will count for nothing when you appear before God, if you're trusting in yourself. The most important confidence that we can have is knowing that we are a child of God, knowing that God loves us. It is knowing that his seed of Christ-likeness is in us and that we will one day be like him. If you're a Christian already, don't allow your human weakness to, to affect the joy of knowing that you are a child of God. Don't let the temptation and, and the devil undermine your belief in God. Don't let him convince you that you don't belong to God. Have you accepted that Jesus came to die to take away your sins, to destroy 
the work of the devil. If you hate sin, if you love what is good, then be reassured that you are a child of God. And you can look forward to his coming with great confidence. Finish with some words from 2 Corinthians 3. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit.